Ever you see me with a jacket, you know I'm probably going to preach. So, excuse me. One of my uh, best memories as a kid, uh, growing up, and I didn't get a chance to do it a whole lot because um, we were good church-going folks, and that meant going on Sunday night, Sunday morning, Wednesday night, and every time the door was open. Unfortunately, well, that's not unfortunately, but um, one of my favorite uh, uh, shows during the Christmas time was Charlie Brown's Christmas. So that, that shows you how old it was when I was, you know, the age of William, and was watching that. But you saw in that, in that uh, animation um, or cartoon, um, they would read this passage that we're going to be uh, talking about today. And over the next week or so, millions of people around the world and throughout our country are going to be reading this passage and it's going to produce differing effects in different people. Some folks are going to listen to this and they're going to think back to Charlie Brown's Christmas and think about their childhood. It's going to generate warm feelings of sentimentality or nostalgia. Others are going to completely dismiss it. Say this is a, a fictional book, um, a story. This is a nice story. It's a, you know, it's a nice story of a baby Jesus. And a lot of people are always going to see Jesus purely as baby Jesus in a manger. And yet Luke is telling us something that's much more significant than this. In this, in this account of an event that happened in real time, in a real place in history. And so as we look at this passage, and we're going to read a few other passages before to give us context, hopefully we're going to see about three things as we look in, in to what happened 2,000 years ago. We're going to look at it from the world's perspective. We're going to look at the significance of this event. And then we're going to look at the eternal impact that this event had and is still having and will have for all eternity. So to give us context, I want to actually go back to Luke 1. And this is why this passage is being written. And I think we have to understand this. Because... Luke is giving, Luke is a very straightforward guy, an educated guy. He's writing to a guy named Theophilus, and he's giving an account of all the things that are happening. We don't know who Theophilus is. We think there may be, he might have been Paul's attorney in Rome who is defending Paul because he uses a lot of legalese and a lot of, um, uh, a lot of events and a lot of uh, facts to build the case. This is why Theophilus all these things that you've been taught, this is why this has happened. And so in Luke 1, it says, In as much as these things have under, um, in as much as many have undertaken to complete or to, or to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, okay, so Luke wrote both uh, Luke and the book of Acts, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word, have delivered uh, them to us. So we're getting this information from people who are actually here. There's a reason he says that. These are real things that are happening. Go ask the eyewitnesses. It seemed good to me also, having followed all these things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things that you have been taught. And then we'll turn to Luke 
2, 1 through 7. Again, this gives us context about this hymn, this song that the angels are going to be singing. So in those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Canarius was governor of Syria, and all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up to Galilee from the town of Nazareth of Jude- to Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the end. So this is the background that we're looking at. So the events that are about to take place, this is the context. Now, a decree was given, an edict was given by Caesar Augustus. Now, we'll give you a little history lesson. Caesar Augustus, his name before he became Caesar, was Octavian. He was the grand-nephew of Julius Caesar, and he actually ruled with two other prefects at the time. There was a civil war, and Mark Antony and Cleopatra were trying to gain power. He, he defeated them in the battle, battle of Actium, which is one of the great battles of the ancient world. And this battle solidified his power. Mark Antony and Cleopatra later... Mark Antony killed himself. Cleopatra uh, also committed suicide rather than being a prisoner of Rome. So Augustus was actually one of the best um, emperors that Rome ever knew. He was a great administrator, uh, a great strategic thinker. <clears throat> Excuse me. And he, he actually ushered in what was later known as the Pax Romana, which was the Roman peace. So what, what Augustus was doing at the time was setting the table for 200-plus years of peace in, in what is now mostly Europe. So he was a very important man, wouldn't you say? And Luke is giving us an account saying, at a time when Augustus was emperor, because by the time he's writing this, Augustus is no longer emperor, and Quinarius was the governor of Syria, which is, was a part, Judea was a part of the Syrian province. So he's given a context. He's saying, this was who the governor was. This is when these things happened. And then he, he changes and says, a decree is given. A t- people were going to be registered for a census. The purpose of that census is to be taxed because they had gone through many, many years of civil war. And so he was trying to generate revenue. Now, all the people in all the Roman Empire were going to be, uh, would have to register. So what is happening to Joseph and Mary, Mary are happening all over the empire. <clears throat> For many, many years this happened. And he usually had a census about every 16 years. And this was happening from Britain to Alexandria on the northern coast of Africa. This was happening in Spain all the way to now Kuwait. This was happening from the North Sea all the way to the Black Sea. 90 million more or less people were having to register in this empire in order to be taxed. And this was impacting a young couple in their teens in a small backwater town of Nazareth. Think Billingsley. That's what's happening. 2,500 miles from the center of power in their known world. Caesar Augustus is in New York or Chicago, Washington, L.A. 
And here was a small little town, Billingsley, that was being impacted by the most important man on the face of the planet. That's the way the world would see this. And here's Joseph and Mary, peasant couple, living in Nazareth, making an 80 to 90 mile trip to Bethlehem in order to register for the census. And she was pregnant. <clears throat> and quite a far along pregnant. So that when they get to Bethlehem, he makes a straightforward note. There were so many people that there was no room for them in the inn. And so she had to give birth to a child, her firstborn son, in a barn. And she placed him in a feed trough. How insignificant can that be? Nobody parents giving birth to a nobody baby in a barn in a feed trough. Pretty insignificant in the grand scheme of things. This story was not making headlines on CNN News or Fox News or any other news, even the Bethlehem News. This was an insignificant non event from the perspective of the world in which were present at the time. But there is another perspective. There is a reality behind the reality. The reality was that this teenage couple, she, she may not have been any older than 14 or 15 years old. Pregnant. Making a 90-mile trip. And having a baby in a barn, that's reality. But there was a greater reality behind that. And that's what we're about to see. In verse 8, And in the same region, now this is really interesting to me, in the same region there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them. Now, now get this. So, we have a nobody parents having a nobody son in a, nobody, in a nowhere village. And then the next scene is we see even less nobodies, which were shepherds. The only one that were lower on the totem pole in that culture than shepherds were lepers. Shepherds were known as untrustworthy ragamuffins. They couldn't do anything else in life. Their, their testimony could not be brought to court because they couldn't be trusted. And think about that. That the God of the universe is about to make the most important announcement on the face of the planet that has ever been announced and He makes it to shepherds. That's crazy. But that's what He does. So they're keeping... Watch over their flock by night, and an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone about them, and they were filled with great fear. They were terrified. They're minding their own business on the side of a hill when all of a sudden an angel appears to them. Now, throughout Scripture, when we see, when we see angels coming, and especially when, this, when the glory of the Lord shines about them, what do people do? They fall to the ground as dead men. It always happens. And so these shepherds were terrified of what they were seeing. They were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not. Don't be afraid. 
Why? Because I'm not here to frighten you. I'm not here to get you. I'm here to give you great news, good news of great joy. Not only for you, but for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ, who is the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with this angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those to whom he is pleased. Wow. Wow. Can you imagine what you would have experienced? Both fear and terror with excitement. So, we get a new perspective on this. The world sees this as a non-event. The world sees this as the power broker of the world is decreeing to a couple in in Nazareth to go get registered. But what really is going on is Caesar Augustus is not really in control here. He's not. Someone greater, a power that Caesar Augustus does not know nor does he understand, is calling the shots. He's simply a pawn in a much bigger game than the Roman Empire, which is hard to believe of that day. And this is what happens. I mean, in Galatians 4.4 4 it says, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son born of a woman. In the fullness of time. Get this. This only... Picture Mary, we said, when the time had come, she is pregnant and is about to give birth. Okay? In the fullness of, high, in the fullness of time. When time was pregnant and is giving birth. When the time was right. Not a day late, not a day early. But when the fullness of time had come, God brought forth His Son by a woman. Wow! This announcement was full of promise. This announcement was a fulfillment of the promise that God the Father made to another woman long, long ago. That promise was in the garden when her and her husband had rebelled against the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, and everything was broken. And they were being cast out of the garden They would experience death and shame and guilt. But everything was not lost. God spoke to them and gave a promise. In Genesis 3.15 it says, There's a curse that will happen because you broke my law. Because you rebelled against me. But there's a promise. Because unto you, Eve... You will give birth to a son one day. From your seed, the serpent will strike his heel, but he will crush the head of the serpent. A picture of what is to come, a hope of what is to come. And then God continues to do this over time. He gives the same promise or gives a promise, a clear picture to Abraham in Genesis 12. He says, Abraham, 
I'm going to, I'm going to call you out of a pagan culture and I'm going to send you to a land you don't know and I'm going to make you a great nation. And not only am I going to make you a great nation, but all the world will be blessed because of your descendant. A picture of what is to come. Over and over and over in the Old Testament, God has given us a picture of the hope that is coming. Glimpses, shadows, but they will be fulfilled. Well, in 2000, in 30 AD, 29 AD, whenever this happened on the calendar, in the fullness of time, the promise was fulfilled to a teenage girl, virgin, giving birth to the King of Kings. In a barn, and he's placed in a feed trough. What a story that is. You can't write that. And that's what's happening. This is not any ordinary child lying in that feed trough. Because the angel says in verse 11, For unto you is born this day in the city of David, which was prophesied. Think about this. In Micah 5, it tells God is telling, the prophet is telling the people that the Messiah will come from Bethlehem. Bethlehem will be blessed. It's the city of David. And so Joseph and Mary, descendants of David, going to register. God is using Augustus to fulfill Scripture because they have to go to Bethlehem. So in the city of David, a Savior who is the Christ the Lord. This is who is born to you. The fulfillment of the prophecy. The fulfillment of the promise. This child lying in a feed trough is not an ordinary boy. The angel says three things about this boy. One, it says, he is a Savior. This points to his role as deliverer. In Isaiah 61, 1-3, we have a picture of this. Jesus actually gives this, he uh, quotes this scripture in a temple or in the synagogue when he comes into his, into his uh, public ministry. But this is speaking of Jesus. In Isaiah 61, 1-3 says this, And the Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor, He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of prisons to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort those who mourn, to grant those who mourn in Zion, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit, that they may be called oaks of righteousness. That's the promise. And this child who is the Savior, is fulfilling the promise. Not only was He the Savior, according to this passage, but the angel says He is also the Christ. The first points to His role as the Deliverer. The second title points to His office, the promised anointed one, the Messiah that they had been looking for year after year after year. The sympathetic high priest. In Hebrews 4, speaking of Jesus, it says this, And since, we have, since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. 
But one in whom every respect has been tempted as we are and yet without sin. We now have a sympathetic high priest. So this, ordinary, this little boy, born in a manger, wrapped in, in strips of cloth, is the Savior. He's the Messiah, the Christ, the Anointed One. And lastly, the angel says, not only that, but He is the Lord. This indicates His supreme authority over all creation. Shepherds, you will find in that barn the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Can you imagine that? From ages past, no one would have ever written the script the way God writes it. Jesus, the the Savior, the Messiah, the King of kings, should have come behind a throng of of servants. He should have been like Caesar Augustus, who when they would conquer a land, would come back to Rome, and they would have a huge parade. And they would, as they would go down the streets of Rome, the people would, would bow down and clap and cheer and give praise to the Caesar because of his great uh, victory over the nation. That's not the way God chose to do that. This little boy was born in a barn. Announced to shepherds. And in a feed trough. But who is this king of kings? Isaiah 6.4 gives us a great picture of that. When Isaiah says this, "In In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord Jesus sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of His robe filled the temple. Above Him stood the seraphim, each six wings. With two, he covered, with two He covered His face, and with two He covered His feet, and with two He flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole world is full of His glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook At the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of lords, this baby who's lying in a feed trough. Think about that. Isaiah, hundreds of years before, sees Jesus in all of His glory. The foundations tremble. Isaiah is is so overcome that he cannot speak. Woe is me! And that king that he saw in that vision is in a feed trough, taking on human form. Why? Why? Because it was God's plan from the beginning. In Revelation 5, we see a great picture, not of what has happened in the past, but what will happen in the future. Again, this child 
who's in a feed trough. Who is he really? Revelations 5, 8 to 14 says, And then I saw a lamb looking as if it had been slain, standing at the center of the throne, encircled by four living creatures and the elders. And the lamb had seven horns and seven eyes, and her seven spirits of God sent out to all the earth. And he went and he took a scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And when he had taken it, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, Jesus. And each one had a harp, and they were holding golden bowls full of incense which are the prayers of God's people. And they sang a new song singing, You are worthy to take the scroll and open the seals because you were slain. And, you, and with your blood you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom of priests and serve our God. And they will reign on the earth. And when I looked and heard the voice of many angels numbering thousands upon thousands and ten thousand times ten thousands, and they circled the throne and the living creatures and the elders in a loud voice, and they were saying, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. Wow. That was Jesus who these shepherds saw in a feed trough. That's who he was. So think about this. The King of kings, the Lord of lords, in the fullness of time, to fulfill a promise that he had made to Eve and to his people year after year after year, in the fullness of time, a woman gave birth to a son. And that son was the Savior the Anointed One, the Christ, the Messiah, and He is Lord. And you almost get this feeling. I remember when Clay, when um, when he was a little boy, and we were giving my my father a fishing pole, and we were going into the house, and it was wrapped, and he had not seen it, and as he walks in, he says, "We got you a gift, and it's not a fishing pole." Why did he do that? Because he was so excited about what he was going to give his granddaddy that he just burst out. Guys, I think that's what's happening here. I think when the angels, when the announcement is made, the one angel, all of a sudden, 10,000 upon 10,000 angels burst forth praising God about his son. They can't contain themselves. They saw Him. They saw Him in His glory. When Isaiah saw Him, they saw Him before man was made. They knew who Jesus was. And they see Him in the feed trough and they can't contain themselves because they know something is going to happen. They don't know the fullness of it yet because He hasn't lived, fulfilled the law, and died. But they're excited because of the king. What does he give us? What is the promise, the eternal impact of this event? One of the things he says, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. This Jesus... This son 
born in a barn, laid in a feed trough, was here to give us peace. In Romans 5, 1 it says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. From the time when man was broken and completely at odds with, the say, with God, eternally separated, the only way to repair that breach, that gap, that chasm, was for this promised Messiah was actually God Himself in the form of His Son. God, in order to breach the chasm, had to send His Son. That Son came purely to die. We have have great images and we love to take our kids to see nativity scenes. And it drives great nostalgia and great feelings of warmth. But when that child was born, he had one purpose. The child was born to obey God, his Father, in the fullest. To experience everything and every temptation that you and I experience, yet without sin. But then he was going to be sacrificed. He came to die. And if we see Christmas without Easter, it's empty. There is no hope. There is no hope. He gave peace, gives us peace with the Father. But not only that, He gives us peace in our hearts. He brings peace to the very depths of us, who we are. Philippians 4, 6 and 7, Do not... Be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And what? The peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. John fourteen twenty seven, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let it be afraid. He brings peace before Between us and God. He brings peace to us in our hearts. And guess what? He brings peace with others. Because as the gospel, as we will hear later, and as we're reunited with God, the peace with God is the foundation for everything else. If we do not have peace with God, we are never going to have peace in here. And we will never have peace with others. It is through the peace that He gives us with with God the Father that produces and yields the fruit of peace in other areas of our life. So what does this do in us? Because the gospel, and this is the gospel, God coming down in the fullness of time and taking human flesh, it matters. It matters. And then lastly, in verse 15, And when the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go to Bethlehem and see the thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste, and they found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told to them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered 
at what the shepherds had told them. Wow. That's amazing. But Mary treasured them up in her heart, pondering, or treasured these things up, and they pondered them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen, as it had been told them. So, what are we to make of this passage? One is, let us be amazed at God. In order to bring us back to Him, gave us His Son to bring peace with Him, to bring peace into our hearts, to bring peace with others. So this Christmas, and throughout this next week, I want you to ponder the significance of this event in your heart, just like Mary did for her. Christmas is not just a time to have a great time with your friend, family. It's not just a great time to give and receive gifts. It's a time for us to give praise and glory and honor to God because of all that He has done for us. Remember that when you give gifts, remember that the King of Kings stepped out of His glory into our broken world into a feed trough for you and for me. Let me pray. Father, thank You for Your Word. Father, pray that You would, throughout this next week, that You would remind us over and over of the significance of this holiday that we are experiencing. And Father, I pray that you would that, that it would lead to us honoring your name, praising your name, that we would burst forth praise to you because of all that you have done. In Jesus' name, amen.